This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many of the New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash sword. That's audiblepodcast.com slash sword. episode number 163. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Veronica. Whoa, you sound, why are you so sad well, sounding? We're, we're um, actually streaming video of this recording, which I don't know if we've ever really done for the regular sword and laser. So I'm kind of mesmerized by the camera. You're staring into your own eyes. I see my soul. <laughs> I, what color eyes do you have actually? Talk again. Ice gray. Steel, I I steel blue. (laughs) Yeah, blue steel. Blue steel eyes. (laughs) Awesome. Mine are brown. Mine are like cloudy. We're acting like this is literally the first time we've ever seen each other in person. (laughs) Yeah, what color are your eyes? I've never seen you before. They're they're brown. They're brown. (laughs) They're poop brown. (laughs) I was going to not say that. (laughs) But mine are uh, like the color of a cloudy puddle. Oh, that's road. that's very literary, literarily of you. <laughs> uh, that's hey, a joke you won't get for another couple of days, people. Literarily, literarily. Oh yeah, we should uh, we should uh, tell people what we're drinking. Then we can tell them other things. Okay, um, I am drinking a 2010. Uh, it's called uh, Vina Robles Robles Vina Robles Red. It is a blend. Um, it was. It's been sitting on my counter for about a week. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you've been aging it. Wait, has it been in that glass for a week? Or you no. mean the, in the okay, good. It's been in the bottle. I actually realized, and this is something I learned recently, um, that if I leave my red wine out on the counter sealed, um, or vacuum sealed, or just, you know, I use drink a lot of corkscrew wine these days, um, I don't actually I can just leave it on the counter and it's fine. I don't need to put it in the fridge and it actually tastes right. better and seems to last yeah. longer. No, the only time I ever put it in the fridge if I know I'm not gonna drink it for a long time. Okay. Uh, but but yeah, if you're vacuum sealing, you're good. I've been I've I, been very impressed with how long it's been lasting. My book talk and drink for today uh, is a New Belgium Fat Tire Amber Ale. Oh, that's nice. I like Fat yeah. Tire. I haven't been doing the wines as much because I don't want to open a whole bottle of wine and then drink it myself tonight because well, I don't have the vacuum seal. That is my life. So I need to get I do the that every seal. week. <laughs> I can usually burn well, you my have way through it. Fantasy that you can use as an excuse to have more wine. I, I don't have that. Once a month. Well, that's a, still that's something. Hey, we're giving away books. Did you know that? We are. We are doing a giveaway um, of a book called Moth and Spark. It's by an author that you guys will come to know uh, very well in upcoming weeks once we uh, premiere our yeah. episode of Sword and Laser Video with her, I would uh, say Anne Leonard. March 6th. You'll yeah. really get to know Anne Leonard. Um, so the book comes out on February 20th, and um, we're going to pick that day to announce a winner drawn at random uh, from respondents in the thread that we have posted over on Goodreads. Um, titled helpfully moth and spark giveaway and the question that we want you to answer is if you were a recently freed dragon what is the first thing you would do now ann leonard has already weighed in on this question if you're curious and said we'll eat Eat. of course is what you would do which is absolutely correct uh but you can elaborate you can dispute that you can just say i don't know i want the book actually we're just going to draw a random from your spots but you have to respond to the thread and uh we are going to give away five copies thanks to viking for giving us the copies Mm -hmm. uh uh, so check back on the 20th at goodreads to find out who got selected and uh and good luck yeah, that's two days from now, so you know, not a lot of time to comment on that thread. Um, the link will be on the website and also, of course, over on the Goodreads Sword and Laser. 
Also, we just mentioned that Ann Leonard would be, I don't know, being uh, spotlighted perhaps somehow. What did you mean by that, Veronica? In in some kind of author guide video, (laughs) perhaps, recorded by us. Uh, Thanks to you guys through the Kickstarter. Yes, Sword and Laser Video Season 2 is premiering this Thursday, episode number one, uh, with Hugh Howey, and we are super, super excited. Uh, huge thanks to Doug Luberts and the whole team over at Pixelcore. Doug is our editor and also our, our, our savior, really, editor and savior. I, I would say because he is he's, our editor at Xavier he's, he's in the Church of Sword and Laser. Yeah, yes, he's he's very good at his job, and uh, it's been wonderful working with him. And so, yeah, we're going to be cranking him out every week. A brand new episode of Sword and Laser video will be on swordandlaser.com. dot um, for twelve weeks. Twelve weeks. Twelve weeks of wonder. 12 glorious weeks. And of course, you can find all of those at youtube.com slash the Sword and Laser as well, um, where we also keep all of our Google Hangouts, and we've been doing a ton of those lately. Um, we did two this week. We did like two last week. Um, so we're going to be cranking those out. You'll hear them in the audio podcast as well over the next two months because they're going to be staggered in between regular episode releases. So a lot of content. So, yeah, just some uh, some some note keeping, uh, some housekeeping. The Sword and Laser Rewind, which is the republishing of our videos from the Geek and Sundry season, is still going on, Mm -hmm. but we haven't been posting them to the blog because we've had so much other stuff to go up there. And it was kind of confusing. Some people, they're like, this is old. We're like, yes, that's the point. That's why we call it Rewind. (laughs) Uh, So those are still going into the video podcast feed if you're wanting to collect them. We get the rights to republish them after a year. So as they come out of a year, then we republish them. Uh, Those are happening on Mondays now. Tuesdays is the audio episodes and the Hangout episodes and if we have video like we're having today we'll put that out as well and then Thursdays will be the actual proper video author spotlight starting this week and that will go into the video podcast feed as well as audio we're going to take the audio of that and pull it out and put in the audio podcast feed right yes there's so many different ways you can get sword and laser yeah it's almost too much sword is it too much sword and laser I think it's enough sword and laser tell us it's a lot. Yeah. Let us know what you guys think. Also, um, and Tom, I haven't really run this by you, so I don't know how you're going to react. Um, but I thought it would be interesting. So we've we've talked a lot about reviews on the website in the past, and how Tom and I just do not have the capacity to write reviews of, of new books because we have to read the books for the book club and we've got all these other obligations that we do for the site um, that kind of take away from our actual reading time, hilariously enough. Um, so if there are some of you out there who would like to submit book reviews, um, preferably I'd love book reviews for, for recent releases. Um, we'd love to check them out. Of course, we can't just post them all en masse because uh, it would just be too too many book reviews but um, if you want to become a regular contributor of some kind um, we can't offer you anything really probably but uh, your writing would be on the blog and that would be cool uh, Tom stop me if, if you totally disagree with this idea at any moment in time I think it's a great idea I think it's a fantastic idea. I really do. Okay. So we have a lot of regular contributors to the Goodreads site, and I know you guys are putting up reviews on Goodreads anyway. So if you want to be featured on the site, drop us an email at feedback at swordandlaser.com, and and maybe we can start highlighting some of your book reviews uh, on swordandlaser.com. All right. Bookkeeping done. For now. Tell me about Hugh Howey's report. Actually, Hugh Howey, who will be in the first episode of Sword and Laser Season 2. Yes, uh, this Thursday you can hear from Hugh Howey before he wrote this report, uh, but he he's famous for really championing the self-publishing cause, and that's because he has launched his career very successfully by self-publishing and also being able to hold on to his rights while he still gets a publishing deal. He put out a big report showing some numbers that were able to be scraped from Amazon. Now, he was the first one to say these are not, totally solid numbers because they're just from Amazon. We're leaving out a lot of people who don't sell on Amazon. But he's also trying to point out that when numbers are bandied about about ebook sales, they're ebook sales of the big five publishers. And folks like Hugh Howey himself don't get counted in that unless their book is one of the big five publishers. So independent ebooks are not being counted. So this was a, an attempt for him to go on Amazon there's all of these independent publishers being sold, these independent authors being sold. Let's look at the numbers there. And of course, the numbers were very big because it's Amazon and they have the Kindle. Uh, So a lot of people started to take issue with that. Dana Beth Weinberg estimated that most of the authors in the survey that Howie published 
whether self-published or published by a publishing house, were not even making minimum wage. Mm. That number's being disputed. Uh, Cory Doctorow uh, on Boing Boing said, going the traditional route makes sense for writers who can earn more by writing another book than they can by spending that writing time being a publisher. It also makes sense for writers who just aren't any good at that stuff. Uh, saying, self-publishing is great, but sometimes it's not the right way to go. So it's really sparked conversation about the meaning of self-publishing for authors, but I was curious, what do we think about it for readers? Is it good for us that more people are self-publishing? I would think so, because it means we have a wider variety of things, I, but I, then there's also that curation aspect of it. I mean, that's but that's part of the what, what the internet is all about, really, is is finding that it's that long tail, you know? So, of course, like some of the, the big published stuff is going to be coming to the forefront and, and getting the most notice, but if you want, you can always find all that other stuff that is being self-published. It's good to just have out there because it's it's gonna someone's gonna see it eventually. Um, and I also just think it's good for literature. I think it's good that people have the opportunity to share their works and to do it in a really easy way and meaningful way, um, and and find that audience on their own if that's what they want to do. But you know, we were talking about that with Greg Wilson a little bit, um, and I think a lot of the other authors we've been interviewing recently about whether or not they think self publishing is is you know the good way to kind of start out, like, should you go the self-publishing route uh, in the beginning of your writing career? Or should, should you try to go for one of the big publishers? And, you know, aside from Hugh Howey, who has had some exciting success going the self-publishing route, most people say, when you're trying to get your career started, it makes more sense to go with a big publisher because they are going to handle all that, that busy work, all that stuff that you don't know how to do. If you can get the big publisher to sign you on, right. then yes. That's that's the other side of this is if you can't get an agent or you can't get a publisher, then self-publishing does make sense because you're going to be able to uh, to get published. Mm -hmm. And a lot of authors can take that route these days of self-publish, get some attention, then sign on to a publisher. Other people like Hugh Howey say, no, hold those profits to yourself. You're going to make all that money. Cory Doctorow's like, yeah, but you not, might not want to do all the work it takes to do that. And there's things like lulu.com that exist that will sort of say, okay, we'll do some of the pub traditional publisher stuff for you, but you'll still be in charge of your books. So I think it's amazing because there, we don't really know what the new publishing model is going to be. Mm -hmm. But for readers, it means we're going to have more access to books. So I think overall, it's amazing because there are more things to read out there. And while there are more things that are bad to read out there, there are also more things that are good. There's a very uh, cool pie chart actually over on Boing Boing that shows all the different uh, ways that you can get those books and and like the top 2,500 Amazon genre bestsellers by format. So that includes that's mystery, from Hugh Howie's report, I think. Suspense, yeah. Right. That's yeah. That's also included there. And man, 86 percent of those 2,500 bestsellers in genre are on Kindle. Well, that's it's also on Amazon that they're getting these numbers from. So true. Okay, but let's say, let's that. just say out of that slice that digital ebooks, you know, just ebooks in general are are doing the bulk of 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 sales these days in 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 in, in genre fiction. And I think, you know, if you're self-publishing, that's that's a really good place to get on board. I mean, speaking of Diamond Club, just think about the, the that that kind of blew up because in a really cool way because they were able to market it on Amazon as a self-published book and and get that kind of attention and even though you know a lot of people were getting something that they didn't expect maybe if they weren't coming from Diamond Club uh it was still being sold for 99 cents and making yeah, money some of those people got upset but still yeah, but yeah. it's an example of, reason. <laughs> of I think it's an example of where at a particular time where the rules are changing and there's always opportunity to do fun, weird, strange things. And nobody really knows what the future model is going to end up being. So I find that really exciting personally. Yeah. It's like if you were J.R.R. Tolkien writing The Lord of the Rings uh, back before anybody had written anything like that before and you had W.H. Auden criticizing you. <laughs> yeah, this is an article over on io9. Um, and apparently in a previously unpublished letter from Tolkien to his publisher, uh, Rainer Unwin, um, he describes the poet's reaction to reading a draft. I guess Auden approved of what Tolkien described as the, I can never, Eowyn, Eowyn and Faramir business. Yeah. That's right. Uh, but Arwen and Aragorn were not so lucky. Said Tolkien, he thinks 
Aragorn, Arwen, unnecessary and perfunctory. I hope the fragment of the saga will cure him. I still find it poignant, an allegory of naked hope. I hope you do. So, interesting. Yeah, I, I, it is weird to think of Tolkien even entertaining a doubt, right? We think yeah. of him as such a pillar, an icon, fully formed. Every every word that dripped from his mouth was was the underlying bedrock upon which all fantasy <laughs> has been built in the 20th and 21st centuries. And you hear him go, well, Auden didn't like it, but I still think it's fine. I, I think it's Hope okay. Yeah. I mean... That's pretty crazy. So this is a letter that, that it, you could pay $10,000 for if you want to bid on it. Mm-hmm. And then we, gonna, go ahead. What? I don't think I'm going to pay for it. You're not going to, how much was it? $10,000. $10,000? Or more. It's probably more by now. Could we get a Kickstarter to buy it? <laughs> yes. Or like a, pledge <laughs> money to us so we can buy a letter that we'll keep and you can never see. No, we'll like send it around. We'll do like oh. a, an e- like a chain letter. Like a that physical just sounds chain irresponsible. Letter. That like, sounds like probably a bad idea because someone yeah, may eventually steal it. And then, it. yeah. yeah. Hey, uh, Daniel Suarez has a new book out called Influx, which I happen to I'm also looking for my copy. My copy is actually by my bed. <laughs> right here. Uh, he was nice enough to send us a review copy, and it explores the idea of trying to control technological proge- progress. So it's kind of the flip-flop of Demon and Freedom TM, where technological progress gets out of hand, mm-hmm. and, and, we, and, and we've, we've, gone, we've gone too far. He's, he's treated that. Now Influx uh, is kind of setting that idea on its head. Well, yeah, and this is uh, interesting. This is an interview over on TechCrunch, and I think it's really cool, actually, that a genre fiction writer, um, although Daniel Suarez obviously has a huge background in the technology space, um, but I think it's really cool that he's being interviewed on a blog like TechCrunch because I, a lot of the stuff he talks about in his books, from aerial drones to, to massively multiplayer online games to virtual reality and augmented reality, all of this ties in so well to stuff that is either happening or right on the precipice right now um, in, in the real tech technology space that we live in. Um, so it makes total sense that he would give an interview on something like TechCrunch where, you know, he even talks about Bitcoin and his reservations about Bitcoin in the interview. Um, I think he's one of the great minds of our literary generation. So I think you guys should definitely check out this interview. It's, it's pretty cool. And check out Influx uh, coming soon to a bookstore near you. He's doing a book signing in Pasadena, actually, this Thursday. So. Yeah. Oh, he's doing a book signing. Um, we actually got an email about it. Um, I think he's going to come up to San Francisco as well. I'm hoping I can I can sit down with him and chat while he's in town because um, he's been he's been great and he's been on the show uh, twice. He's been on the show twice. I think we had him for audio interview audio, and video interview. And he was on the Geek and Sundry series. Yeah. Yes. So he's been sure. a, a good, a, a great supporter of the show. And uh, I can't wait to read the book. I just got to find the time. If one of you want to write a review, feel free. <laughs> All right. Let's take a look at the calendar. I'll start us off on February 18th. Uh, that's today. The following books are out. Red Rising by Pierce Brown and Concealed in Death by J.D. Robb. And February 20th, as we mentioned, Moth and Spark by Ann Leonard. How far down we go on March 4th? Okay. Yep. And then on February 25th, we have The Undead Pool by Kim Harrison. The Judge of Ages, Count to a Trillion by John C. Wright. And then on March 4th, we have a lot of books. Maybe I'll read. Ooh, I can put them up. I can do it. Yeah. All right. We've got Go words. Let's see how many I screw up. We've got Words of Radiance, the Stormlight Archive, Book Two by Brandon Sanderson, um, who we're going to be having on the show in the very near future as well. Um, Immortal Muse by Stephen Lee. Night Broken, a Mercy Thompson novel by Patricia Briggs. Murder of Crows, a novel of the others by Anne Bishop. Honor Among Thieves, Star Wars, Empire, and Rebellion by James S. A. Corey. Yay! Yeah, That's I'm excited awesome. about that too. Night of the Hunter, Companions Codex, one by R.A. Salvatore. Yay, Bob! Uh, the Tropic of Serpents, a memoir by Lady Trent and Natural History of Dragons by Marie Brennan. Wow, that's a big day. Next, that's next a two. lot of books that I want to read. Um, still not done, though. Then we have Black Moon, a novel by Kenneth Calhoun, and Notes from the Internet Apocalypse by Wayne Gladstone. You blew that away. Nailed it. I, don't ha- I can't drop my mic because it's attached to an, a thing here. Oh, so. Right. Don't mic do drop. <laughs> hey, uh, we should probably thank our sponsor, don't you think? Yes, I do think so. Uh, let me figure out how to do that real quick. <laughs> real we quickly. forgot to put that in the show notes. Oops. Uh, but yes, uh, absolutely want to thank Audible.com, the leading oh, provider of audiobooks. I've got it kind of memorized. Than, 
then All right. I can't remember exactly We'd the We'd like to thank Audible.com, the internet's leading subscriber of downloadable digital audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of fiction, including fiction, wait, literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. Uh, listeners of The Sword and Laser may be interested in... That's one we have to select to do an actual selection. You know, I'm doing Ian Tregellis' uh, not the most recent book, but The uh, Necessary Evil on oh, audiobook, which wait, is read by Kevin Pariso. Kevin Pariso is fantastic. Yeah. That, that, that's one of the great things about Audible is getting those amazing authors to read to you. You know what I love about it too, and this is maybe this will sound a little bit cheesy, but I love that not only do you get to listen to an author you like, but in the right combo, you get to also get an audiobook narrator that you really like. So you get to be, you get to kind of fanboy out on on not one but two different people who are kind of giving you this experience of of listening to this book, and I think that's really cool. I'm listening to the latest uh, Mary Russell novel uh, by Laurie R. King. Um, I can't remember the name off the top of my head right now, but I'll put it put it in the show notes um uh, it's it's the alternate uh version of the holmes saga uh, sherlock holmes saga where he uh has this apprentice uh mary russell and it's been like 12 13 14 books at this point i've i've read or listened to them all and the narrator on that series is also fantastic and they do a, a male narrator for sherlock and a female narrator for mary russell um but they alternate chapters so you get the male narrator for one entire chapter when it's a Holmes point of view chapter. And then on the other side of things, uh, when it's Mary Russell's point of view, you get, you get her point of view uh, with the female narrator. Um, so they both do the male and female voices when they're in discussion. So, so it's kind of cool. There's some other things going on too with Audible. If you're using a Kindle Fire HD, you can listen and read at the same time. Mm -hmm. Highlight the text as you read along with the narrator. Uh, they allow you to do chapter navigation, annotated bookmarks. And Audible's great listen guarantee means you can't go wrong. If you decide you don't like the book you chose, no worries. Exchange any book you aren't happy with for another title anytime. No questions asked. Absolutely. And if you want to get an audiobook download of your choice, head over to audiblepodcast.com slash sword and you can get a, uh, a month free and uh, a, a book of your choice and absolutely no, you know, you won't get in trouble. You won't, your card won't be charged, all that hullabaloo. Um, it's fantastic. And of course, you can also pass along the link to, to your friends in case they haven't discovered the magic of Audible just yet. Audiblepodcast.com slash sword. 30 day free trial, get a free book. Once you buy a book, it's yours to keep, even if you didn't pay for it. Audible, <laughs> thanks for your support of Sword and Laser. Absolutely. All right, let's jump into uh, TV, movies, and video games. Uh, there's a lot going on in the adaptation front. Um, we are taking a look over at Kirkus Reviews. Um, uh, Paul Cornell, London Calling, apparently, is getting an adaptation. Um, that's a little further down the line in the article, but I, it was at the very top, so I thought that was cool. Yeah, it's been optioned by a UK-based television company, uh, mm -hmm. so it's not quite being produced, but it's in the early stages. Also, red shirts by John Scalzi. This is big. Well, we should to FX. We should hold on to that because we have more on that story. Let's just after talk about this. it. I'm excited. You just want okay. Well, let's talk about other adaptations real fast because there's a lot of cool stuff. The Elf Sons of Shannara by Terry Brooks. Um, that is apparently being optioned. Right. Let's see. MTV is developing a television adaptation. Um, and Iron Man director John Favreau is set to direct the drama series, which I feel like maybe I knew about this already. Somehow. Uh, yes, because we talked about it on the show. Did we? Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, the Giver is set for an August 2014 release date. Entertainment Weekly posted some pictures recently uh, starring Jeff Bridges. That's uh, weird. That's by Lois Lowry. Why now? That book I has don't... been out forever. Well, nobody had done it yet. That's okay. why. Fair enough. Um, uh, and All You Need Is Kill by Hiroshi Sakurazaka is actually retitled Edge of Tomorrow, but they've already put out the trailer and it's got an October 2014 release date starring Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, we are obviously super excited about the Red Shirts adaptation uh, from John Scalzi. Um, so this news kind of broke very suddenly. I think it was last week. Um, and I don't think John knew exactly when they were going to start talking about it. But then suddenly it was on like Deadline or or one of the other like Hollywood gossip blogs. And um, so I, I think he kind of needed to post a, a blog article being like this, a blog article. Did I just say a blog article? 
He posted. He posted on the blogger, on the bloggins, on the blogger goals. The bloggins, the bloggity bloggins. Um, yeah. But so he kind of does a Q&A about the adaptation. Um, so if you're curious to learn a little bit more about what it takes or what it took, um, you can read about that there. And yes, he did know. He just didn't know when they were going to make the announcement. He's been he's going to be serving as executive producer um, and uh, kind of like overseer of the project to make sure that they kind of stay true to the story. Um, but he said, yeah, he's, he's really excited about the people he's working with too. Yeah. So red shirts will be coming to FX. Uh, it's going to be a limited series, kind of a short run series. Think of it a little bit like Sherlock, except it's not going to get renewed and renewed because they're red shirts. So, you know, <laughs> get where it's, get where we're going with that. Um, but yeah, it's it's if you don't know about the the novel Red Shirts, it's poking fun at the idea of the Star Trek universe. The guys in the red shirts that go down on the away missions are always the ones that get killed, and the stars never do. And it's not a Star Trek novel, but it, it takes place in a very similar universe. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious how FX is going to handle that. Well, it's not a Star Trek novel, but they do reference Star Trek in the book. So, yeah, they say we're not Star Trek. Right. It's not. A, yeah, it's an entirely different thing. So uh, my point is. How are they going to handle that IP they're stuff? It's a television show that's not Star Trek. Uh, it's not part of the Star Trek universe. Paramount isn't involved, but they're very much making fun of Star Trek. So I'm going to guess line. that they'll, they'll never use the Enterprise by name. No, of course not. And the and the book doesn't either. But does it not? No, because they're not in Star Trek. Oh, Star you're right. It's a okay. whole other thing. It's I, totally different, Veronica. I did read this book. I swear. Yes, I know. But I, I'm just saying, like, is. they're going to want to make it look as Star Trek as possible without getting CBS or Paramount to sue them. Right. Well, maybe they can license, I mean, parody. They could. Well, parody could work. Parody might work. Won't necessarily keep them out of court, but it could work. So a big movie that's coming out um, that's uh, coming out pretty soon is, uh, or actually out. came out. Did it come out already? Yeah, yeah, Winner's Tale. Now, I haven't read this book, so I don't know too much about it, um, but io9 actually has a great interview with the director, um, producer, director, and screenplay writer, Akiva Goldsman. Um, And so if you're a fan of the book, which apparently a lot of people are, and apparently also a lot of people were very positive that this was not going to be a filmable book. Um, We've heard that a lot about other books in the past, and to varying degrees of success uh, in genre fiction, I think, for example, example you know ender's game was unfilmable uh for a lot of reasons but then technology kind of caught up to it to a point where you could have things like the um the anti-gravity uh like battle school stuff like actually work out and look realistic and then there's something like cloud atlas which is just written in such a different way that in that in that stacked story kind of uh feel that it made turning it into a movie difficult. And I think a lot of people kind of considered that a failure, really, in terms of an adaptation. I don't think it captured a lot of what the book was trying to do. Um, I really loved the book. I saw the movie. I wasn't a huge fan of the movie. Um, but hopefully this will be true uh, what the, true to the story. Uh, but what they did do is they took out about 300 pages worth of like screenplay, um, worth of content from the book to kind of tailor make it, like kind of change the focus so that it was sustainable as a film yeah they took out 300 pages of the of the novel's hardesty Murata story uh very Which central means nothing character. to me because i haven't read it yet apparently but. very central character in the narrative though apparently oh. and i haven't read it either um so she, uh, she says akiva goldsman says if you just sort of pull out the peter lake story and try to make that spine your source material is less and that made what many people feel was an unfilmable movie attainable well mm-hmm. i haven't seen it we'll see yeah, I guess we'll find out. Um, but now I'm actually even more curious to to see the film um, because it sounds it sounds really interesting in the way it's described in this interview. So I might check that one out. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of romancy, and also has the it has the girl from Downton Abbey, who Which I really one? love. Um, oh, um, Sybil. Sybil, yeah, Sybil's in the film. No spoilers, right. Tom. Um, Sybil, but Sybil is in the film and, uh, I love her. And so I'm, I'm excited to, sorry, her real name is Jessica Brown Findlay. Um, and so that might be another reason to, to check that one out if you're a fan. Why'd you accuse me of spoilers? I said her name I know. Was I was Sybil. just saying, don't say any spoilers. That's all Why I was saying. Why would there be a spoiler? It's almost a spoiler to say to me, uh, don't say any spoilers. I can't win. I swear. <laughs> I tweeted out a link about, do you watch True Detective? No, I've, I've been meaning Tom. to catch up now. 
I know. Shut up. Stop being on this podcast and go watch it. Just go. No, no, no. Don't really go. I I changed my mind. No, really, you should be watching that show. It's amazing. And I posted a recap on Boing Boing uh, to Twitter the other day. And I said in the post, there are spoilers in this blog post. And the first reply I got was like, no spoilers. And I'm like... I'm not going to tweet said out there were spoilers. spoilers. And I said there were spoilers in this blog post, so you can't get mad at me. Maybe they meant they didn't want to be spoiled on the fact that there were spoilers. Because it's a spoiler of the blog post to tell people that there are spoilers in it. True. <laughs> True. That's the culture we live in. That's the culture we live in these days. <laughs> hey, um, speaking of spoilers, let's spoil some Wizard of Earthsea. But not too much. Because... No, actually, we won't spoil it. Yes. We're not wrapping it up. Um, we're not wrapping this up yet. Um, we still felt like it was a little bit too early. Yeah, we still got another... halfway through the month. That's the problem with February. We always that have is, this problem. February, it's a weird month. So we'll wrap it up on the fourth of of um, of, uh, bleh, of March. March. March will the be month, the next month. You know, the month that comes after February. <laughs> have some more wine. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we're we're going to wrap up uh, and kick off our next book. Actually, I meant to put that link in there too. There's a vote still going on. Ongoing uh, vote. For, you know, and I, I think we can announce the, because uh, I think I, I ended the vote yesterday. Oh, you so did? So you go ahead, you go ahead and start us talking about Wizard of Earthsea. We're going to check in and mm-hmm. see, and just talk about what we're thinking so far. I've finished the book. You finished the book. We'll try not mm-hmm. to be spoilery though. Okay. Uh, and then I, by the end of our discussion, I can tell you what our March book will be. Right. So A Wizard of Earthsea is a fantasy novel written by Ursula K. Le Guin. And, um, of course, who is a fantastically excellent writer, female writer in the uh, sci-fi fantasy space, which is, you know, especially when, when the book was published back in, in uh, 1968, was, you know, not that common. Um, so it's kind of cool. It's kind of one of those series where... It's like a, it's a good, it's a good basis. It's a good, what's the word I'm looking for? What's a foundation, if you will. Yeah, not um, Isaac Asimov, but a foundation of, nonetheless. But similar. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of discussion, which we'll get into later, um, or at least reference about, you know, Ursula K. Le Guin felt that Harry Potter, for example, and J.K. Rowling, um, you know, didn't pay her proper homage, homage, <laughs> Wait, no, umbrage? No, that's not the right word. No, homage. Homage. Yeah. Umbrage is a totally different word. Umbrage is what Ursula K. Le Guin felt. took. It's what she felt. She Maybe. took umbrage. Actually, I think here's the here's the problem with even bringing this up is a lot of people uh, criticized us last time for not giving enough context to Ursula K. Le Guin's remarks because we simply said, "Here's what she said. It was about Harry Potter." And uh, there's been a lot of controversy about it. And there's so much controversy that if you're on one side or the other, that wasn't enough because you want us to justify your side. Right. Which I'm not going to do. But anyway, no. um, so it, 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 it's high fantasy. It, um, it, it deals with a, a young man named Ged or Jed, depending on how you roll in the GIF GIF world. Ged in the audiobook. Ged? Okay, then it's Ged. Yeah. Um, so Although he, that's giving out his true name, and I don't know if that's a spoiler. I can't win. I don't think that's a spoiler. That was a joke. He started out, uh, his name was Sparrowhawk in the beginning, and he it, it's a coming-of-age tale. It's, 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 it's Ged learning his, his true path in life, what kind of person he is, growing up through the years, going to sorcery school, uh, which is where some of the uh, magical school debate comes from, uh, which is obviously a popular trope in, in fantasy literature. Um, and we didn't actually even mention uh, Patrick Rothfuss and The Name of the Wind, which is another tale um, that, that uses that trope to, to excellent effect. Um, but there are dragons, there's, you know, dark evil things chasing him. There's him learning kind of the, the ability to control, contain and use the, 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 use his power to the best of his ability. And yeah, I, I thought it was a fantastic book. It's, it's very fast paced. Um, there's, there are some slow moments, but it kind of, it rolls along at a good clip in my opinion. And I, I really enjoyed it. And I was just happy to have this kind of backbone to, to fantasy fiction, uh, that was not part of my repertoire earlier. So I know I enjoyed it because I missed reading it when I was done. Oh, good. Uh, While I was reading it, I wasn't sure if I was enjoying it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it felt, I, I always wanted to go back and read it, but I wasn't sure, like, do I like this story? 
uh, it seemed a little stark, seemed a little old-fashioned for 1968 especially, and this is really interesting, I felt like it was timeless. I felt like yeah. it could have been written in the 30s, it could have been written even, even maybe a, an older story than that. It didn't feel like 1968 the way that uh, the, the, what was the, the Alfred Buster novel that, that we read in? Uh, Demolished it, Man. The, the Demolished Man felt very much of its time. This did not feel very much of, of its time. But there is an entire thread on Goodreads about it being sexist. Did, yes. And, and I was surprised at that because Alfred Bester, very obviously, you look at this and you say, wow, I see some sexism in there that's of that time. Even Delaney, uh, when, we, when mm-hmm. we read the uh, Delaney novel last section. month. I felt like, okay, I can see why this could, you know, this could definitely be considered sexist in the modern era, you know, in our time now. I did not get that from Earthsea, and a lot of people did. Yeah, this is a great thread that was started by Olivia. Um, and uh, what I found interesting, too, was, was Louise's comments. And she says, yes, the gender issues throughout are problematic. It is a sexist world with some more powerful women emerging later in the Earthsea cycle, which is the series that this book kicks off. Um, as I mentioned in the cover thread, my edition has all four stories, and so I tend to see them as a whole work. Uh, but there are more female characters in the later books, and particularly in Tahanu, uh, some of the issues are raised. It is, however, still debated as to whether the final book has a feminist conclusion or an anti-feminist conclusion. Uh, Tahanu was written to address the gender issues of the first three books, as Le Guin says in her Earthsea revision. She also addresses it in this interview in The Guardian in 2004, which she links to. Um, so we have, we have discussed this a little bit in the past, and I think particularly we discussed this in reference to Le Guin. Um, no, maybe it was Marion Zimmer Bradley. Um, yes, I think it was all the way back with like book two of the sword and laser, um, which was, what's the name of that book, Tom? The The, Arthurian, the, uh, uh, that wasn't book two, but mist of Avalon. Mist of Avalon. Yes. And so like, actually, I guess that was written a little bit later. Wasn't that written in the eighties? Um, anyway, So Ursula K. Le Guin is writing in a time, she's writing in the late 60s, that, you know, as we mentioned earlier in the show, female writers weren't that active in. It's still a predominantly white male uh, author genre, um, which is, you know, typical of a lot of author genres. Um, But she's a, a strong female voice, but was she writing from experience? Is that why it kind of comes off as, as anti-feminist or is it because she's writing to an audience that she expects to be primarily white male um so you you kind of have to start thinking about like the the reasons why it's being written the way it's written and i'm not justifying it i'm just saying it it has a place in time and does that help the situation at all or does that still make it kind of inexcusable or is it even a problem like not everyone reads this book and sees anti-feminist issues in it and i think why i didn't notice it is because it if anything it's sexism by omission and that that was why I was thinking, well, this feels older than 1968, because what I think people are responding to is the is the fact that the characters are male. There mm-hmm. are very few female characters and the ones that do exist are fairly incidental or evil. Uh, and that is a very old fashioned approach where it's patriarchy emblematic. And I get that now that people have raised that issue. But the fact that it's being written by a woman in 1968 almost makes me want not to excuse it, but to say that's almost an achievement, right? This She was able to channel the voice of the time and make it feel entirely natural and entirely normal. And I wonder, do you think the Wizard of Earthsea is any more sexist than the Lord of the Rings in that respect? Hmm. And I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. trying to excuse anything when I say that, I just wonder if the fact that it's written by Ursula K. Le Guin makes people want to notice it more or hope for a powerful female character in that first novel. And like you say, of the time, she's like, yeah, I want to get this thing published, so I'm going to make my characters male because that's what I needed to do. I I really feel like you you could have hit the nail on the head by saying, what did you say? I got kind of drunk and now I can't really remember what you said. What was the thing you said? About Tolkien? No. Oh, um, if she was a male writer, would would anyone have even noticed? 
And I think that's exactly, I think that that's exactly right. Like, I think because she is a female writer, um, people are more observant to this kind of thing. They're more, they're looking for it. They're expecting a strong female character. Um, And so apparently it comes later in the series, but not quite yet. Well, it got really dark in here all of a sudden. Yeah. Sun goes down quick where you guys are. Yeah. On the edge of the world over there, San Francisco. I didn't fix the white balance. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, there's also a couple other good threads about Earthsea going on if you want to get uh, some more discussion in before the end of the month. Uh, one uh, is a public service of a sort that I'm really glad someone did, <laughs> finding the references to Le Guin in, among others, one of our earlier uh, book club picks by Joe Walton. Yes, this is um, it's extensive reading, so and there are spoilers uh, for the book within this thread, so tread lightly. Um, but I think it's pretty cool because obviously uh, Maury references uh, Ursula K. Le Guin quite a bit, in among others. And so, uh, you know, this is one of the reasons I wanted to read this book, and while I, why I wanted to read uh, Delaney as well because they were such such commented upon authors in among others that I felt like I'm missing some parts of this foundation um, that I need to kind of fix. And so now I feel like I'm going through uh, Maury's to read list. Thank you, Rob, uh, for starting that thread. That is really helpful. Should we say anything else about the, the Harry Potter controversy before we, we move on to the, uh, to the March pick? I, I feel like the only thing I want to say is uh, there was a great link to Terry Pratchett, in the thread where he sort of explained why he thought there was that controversy blowing up Wait, at the Terry, time. Terry Pratchett jumped into our discussion on Goodreads. No, no, no. It was a link to a blog post <laughs> okay. that Terry Pratchett had made back when Le Guin had first had that, that interview. And a lot of people are saying Le Guin was taken out of context. She wasn't mm-hmm. speaking directly about Harry Potter. It was an interviewer that forced her to say something about that. She doesn't have a problem with rolling, whatever there is definitely something going on there. And I think at the time, Terry, Terry Pratchett really put the na- hit the nail on the head, which was when Harry Potter first came on the scene, a lot of people acted like it was the first novel of its kind, and it wasn't. Uh, and, and whether you think Wizard of Earthsea is the best example of, hey, there's a lot of elements of this book here or not, a lot of authors and genre fans were rubbed the wrong way, saying, we've had wizarding schools, we've had mm-hmm. sword and sorcery, we've had magic, we've had flying broomsticks, in many other works that you all ignored, why suddenly are you getting excited about Harry Potter? I think we forget that now because Harry Potter has sort of weaved its way into the, the public consciousness. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, people grew up with Harry Potter. People right now have basically essentially grown up with Harry Potter as being like a dominant force in their liter- literary lives. And so people feel a very, very strong connection and they're very defensive of it, which I totally respect because I feel that way about a lot of things that I read or watch. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a trope. I mean, magical school is a trope. It's been done before. And Ursula K. Le Guin was not even the first person to do it. So. Right. I, I see where the, the frustration comes from. The frustration um, comes from the immense popularity of something. Not mm-hmm. from the, you know, people are saying, oh, well, Ursula K. Le Guin, she invented new ideas, and J.K. Rowling just took others and mashed them up. Pretty much every book, you can, if you try hard enough, you can show has taken other things that existed before and mashed them up. Right. Like, there's, there's almost no new ideas under the sun. It's all a matter of how cleverly you mash them up. Flintlock. Yes, Flintlock <laughs> Fantasy, for instance. Um, but speaking of Terry Pratchett, it appears that The Long Earth by Terry Pratchett and Stephen Baxter well, is inching ahead in the poll. No, well, the, the, the poll is over. The poll that's the poll, over. poll ended yesterday. Long Earth has the no, most number of votes with 92 at the top. However, Veronica, we need a ruling here. Why? Because Altered Carbon came in second with 89 votes. Yes. And some people either through malice or misunderstanding of how the poll worked, also wrote in Altered Carbon. Oh, and it has 30 votes. So (gasps) if you count the write-ins and the regular votes, Altered Carbon. No, it has 40 votes because some people used a lowercase c on Altered Carbon, and that has 10 votes. No matter how no matter how you take in that into account, Altered Carbon has the most votes across its multiple it has killed, entries. Yeah, it has killed everything. But the Long Earth, nobody the Long Earth fans didn't mess up the vote. They voted properly. If this were a US election, we would call all those write-in votes spoiled ballots and throw them out. And we would give the win to the Long Earth. 
But if you want to say, well, people know what Altered Carbon is and they voted for it, then Altered Carbon wins. We've got hanging chads all should over the do, place. Should we do a a should we do a quick poll in the chat room and see what people think? I don't know. That's intense, man. Um, I, I think am, we have to. I think I, we have to have a runoff with no write-ins. That's 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 my suggestion. What do you think? What does that mean? I don't know what that so means. We do a, we do one more week of voting to take us to the twenty fifth. I know that's cutting it close on March. Uh, and here's here's what I'll do for people who are like, no, I need to get ahead. For the March pick, we'll, we'll have the loser of the vote will be the alternate pick. I'm inclined to think that we should just make the call. My gut is saying that we should go for Aldred Carbon because that is a substantial. If we count those, that is a substantial lead. I mean, that is. I don't know where he's even going right now. So Aldred Carbon, as a pick, has 89 votes which is very close to the long earth at 92 votes, but then right ins, it has another additional 40 votes. So that brings it up to 89 plus 40, like 129 votes. That's over 92. So that is. All right. Uh, well, Veronica, you are the highest votes? court in the realm of sword and laser. What are you talking about? No, I'm not. You're yes. the, you're the laser and it's a laser pick. 119. Yeah, but you're my appeals court. Right. Like if this were a fantasy pick, I would be the highest court because I would be the appeal. Right. Oh, all right. So uh, with uh, I, I think I'm I'm going to I'm going to have to say uh, 30, 40, 129 to 92. To 92. That's substantial. Altered carbon wins. All That's right. it. <laughs> you got a gavel. Where did you even get a gavel from? Why do you have uh, that? A very fine fan of Current Geek sent this gavel to me. Found it in this house. Spectacular. All right, so it sounds like the March pick, the March laser pick is Altered Carbon. Um, I have been looking forward to reading this for a long time by Richard K. Morgan. Um, so that is available on Amazon and, of course, on Kindle and all other fine places where you want to get books, including your local library and bookstore. So please check out those and support those as well. Wow. All right. We made that happen. I'll have to add that yeah, to Goodreads. That was, was nail-biting. So this has been a long show, so we'll, we'll burn through these barrier swords pretty quickly. Um, yeah, uh, real, yeah, real quickly. Scott is doing something called Reading Bingo, which is really cool. So he has to read a book to fill in all the elements of his bingo card. Like, for instance, he had to read a book that was really long, and so he read The Name of the Wind. It had to be more than 500 pages. Mm -hmm. His next category is a forgotten classic. A forgotten so he's getting classic. some really great suggestions from people. And I guess he decided A War with the Newts would be his pick. I have, I have not forgotten it because I've never heard of it. So I have a copy of War with the Newts by Carol Capek because it has amazing pulp fiction era covers with oh. big newts like walking around on Earth. That is fantastic. All right. And then we have an article, uh, a post rather, by Jeroen, Jeroen, Jeroen. Um, he is looking for any books that have firearms and what can be considered high fantasy. Hmm. Now, weirdly, I picked this before we had our interview with Brian McClellan. And Which so, is up on YouTube already, but it will be in the feed in a couple weeks. Absolutely. So definitely check out the uh, the new series by Brian McClellan, Powder Mage. Um, oh, actually, that was in his, I think that's where he maybe found it. He says, uh, by far, I'd like to find another series of books similar to Ellie Modesset's Junior's uh, Corian Chronicles. Up to this point, I found no books that could match this in regards to what I'm looking for. As to a more recent example, Brian McClellan's Powder Mage series is also good. Now, Brian McClellan mentioned an author, uh, Django Wexler, The Thousand Names, which Rob mentions in this thread. Um, and he says that they're the two guys who are kind of in the flintlock Subgenre. Flintlock fantasy, yeah. And Jeff well, and, recommends and The Alloy of Law by Brandon Sanderson. Jaron wants high fantasy and firearms, right. which is a little bit different. I think that's why he's discounting uh, Powder Mage, mm -hmm. uh, because he wants it to be a high fantasy thing. Uh, he uses The Dark Tower as another example. Uh, but there, yeah, there's some fantastic yeah, uh, Bill, selections in here. Bill goes on to recommend uh, Harkwood and the Kings by Paul Kearney, um, and then also The Heresy Within by Rob J. Hayes, and Prince of Thorns by Mark Lawrence, another one that I've been uh, looking forward to reading something soon. Oh, and uh, Tomahome pointed to a Flintlock Fantasy uh, bookshelf over on Goodreads, which includes a lot of the books that we've mentioned, including some by Michael A. Stackpole and, um, and uh, Matthew Kirby. 
So a lot of stuff. And we got an email from Jessica who says, I was listening to the Gregory Wilson interview and ha heard about him talking about his daughter's name. Uh, he, he, chose, he named his daughter after a character in his own book. Uh, made me think of my own family. I was named after Jessica Atreides from Dune, <laughs> putting me in the odd position of being named for a sci-fi character and having one of the most common girl names of my generation. I passed the nerd legacy onto my own children as well. My son's middle name is Zaphod, as in Beeblebrox. <laughs> Zaphod. Zaphod. Isn't it Zaphod? And my daughter is named Erin after Erin's son from Farscape. Hopefully she won't resent me for it the millionth time she has to spell it out loud for someone. <laughs> she probably will. I'm sorry, Jessica. She probably uh, like, oh. I, Yeah, I don't know if it's Zaphod or Zaphod. I say Zaphod. Um, I feel like that's how they said it in the movie, but that does not necessarily mean that's the right way of saying it. Um, and no, Erin is a beautiful name. That, that's an awesome name. And Jessica's a, a beautiful name too. A-E-R-Y-N. A-E-R-Y-N. I mean, it just sounds like a, um, an Irish spelling to me. That's just kind of what it looks like. So that's, that's still pretty cool. That's really cool. Um, all right. Well, I guess that about wraps it up for this episode of The Sword and Laser. Um, we are, of course, on the Boing Boing Network of Podcasts and also the Frog Pants Studio Network. Um, but if you want to check out more Boing Boing stuff, there's tons of fun podcasts, including The Not Playing Show. They're on episode 11. And uh, this is a show where they, uh, at least one of the guys on the show has not watched the movie that they're watching. And so he's kind of coming at it from a fresh perspective. And this week they're doing Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is one of my all-time favorites. And actually weirdly kind of scary and creepy um, if you go back and watch it as an adult. Um, so definitely check out The Not Playing Show over at boingboing.net slash category slash podcasts. And uh, I guess otherwise, yeah, that's it. If you want to get in touch with us, the email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. The website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com. If you want to leave a voicemail, 415-7-SWORD-6, 415-7-SWORD-6. And, of course, stay tuned for the premiere of Sword and Laser Season 2 this Thursday, February 20th, uh, with our interview and backstory on Hugh Howie. We are really excited to bring it to you guys. All right. We will see you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.